Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, I just want to say as we get going, I really am so glad you're here. You know, a lot, of, a lot of you come here. I know this is your church home. Some of you are friends, though, or your guests today, and we're just so thankful you're here. Maybe you don't go to church all that often. I don't know what your story is, but we know and we always believe that when you kind of intersect these little moments of coming to church or intersecting God in some uh, way or another, that, that God has something inside of that. He has you here for a reason. You know, as a church, we just finished 10 days of prayer. And how many of you guys love 10 days of prayer? Like, it was so good. And hours, hours, hundreds of hours have been prayed um, and, and behind all that prayer is the hope that God would move, not only in our lives of those who are praying, but we pray for people that God would move in their life and in their hearts. So that's, that's behind all of this today is a big prayer that God, would you move? Would you come? Would you do something for people who need you? Would you intersect their life? And so we're glad you're here and we're believing that God has something for you today. Amen. Well, on top of that, I love Easter Sunday. Anybody else a fan of Easter? <laughs> There's a greeting that Christians have said to one another for thousands of years. It goes all the way back to the early church. It's called the Pascal greeting. I say it nearly every Easter. But one person says, one believer says, Christ is risen. And the other person responds, he is risen indeed. It's a very traditional thing. It's a very proper thing. But it's a very appropriate thing. And so I'm going to say it. And then you're going to shout back at me. You're going to knock me over with how loud you say he is risen indeed. You all ready for this? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Mm. Feels good, doesn't it? I love it. Today is about declaring that a resurrection has taken place. He was dead, but now he's not dead. He is not here. He is risen. And resurrection, if you think about it, changes everything about everything. Because if a resurrection took place, then we have to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is indeed the Messiah, he is indeed the Son of God. And if a resurrection took place, we have, to, we have to believe this because otherwise, Jesus and the early church played the greatest hoax on humanity of all time. That's the option, right? It's either he didn't get resurrected or he did. Everything hangs in the balance of this story being true. And so resurrection, if we believe it, it means that he is who he said he was. He is the son of God. And if we believe that, then it does change everything about everything. And the, the resurrection, I do believe, truly is the greatest act of God's love that we get to proclaim over and over again. I've titled today's message, as you've heard, as you can see, loved. Everyone say loved. loved. That is our theme today. And we gave you a label when you came in today, a name tag that says, I am loved. We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, we need to fully talk about some other labels because the world is a place of labels. We like to label things. All of you have a label on you right now, whether you want it or not, and it's a generational label. Some of you are boomers. Some of you are Gen Xers. Some of you are the beloved millennials. Some of you are Gen Z. And some of you, some of, none of us, but some over there are the coolest of all of them, Gen Alpha. You know what I mean? They got the best name of all of us. And, and here's the deal. Whether we want that title on us or not, it's given to us with all of its generational differences and jokes that people throw at us. It's, it's coming at you because that's who you are, right? We have all sorts of labels that we adopt, some that are put on us uh, by the culture around us. For example, 
We all carry in our pockets uh, a label. This says Apple, this says Android. That is not a choice. That is not a choice, a preference, or a phone. It is a label. It is a label. It says a lot about who you are. And, and this is a place of love today, not hate. So I am not going to have you raise your hand to say if you're Apple or Android because we accept all people here. But listen, that's a label, isn't it? That's a label. And here's the deal. I think, by the way, we just all need to go back to one brand, Nokia. That's all I'm saying. I'm in with that. But how many of you guys, you know, we got the labels of liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. How many of you guys are excited about the election? I can't wait to get that label to be really a big deal again. I mean, here's the deal. These labels, they matter. They get put on us. Official forms we fill out every time, right? They want us to check a box. Are you, are you Caucasian? Are you African-American? Are you Hispanic? Are you Asian? Are you other? Which makes the person feel very valued. I'm other. That's my label. Or how about socioeconomics? Are you lower class? Are you middle, middle class, right? Are you upper class? Are you rich? We put these labels on us, and these are real labels, right? Faith-based labels, Christian, agnostic, atheist, Buddhist, Muslim, whatever it is, non-spiritual, right? Like there's all these labels. Now everybody, here's the thing about the labels. There is actually a unspoken pressure for you to choose the labels and to wear them because here's what happens is people want to know silently, quietly, if they like you or want to cancel you based on your labels. That's the truth, isn't it? I mean, that is the truth in our culture based on your label. And I personally know this all too well because I wear a label I wear a label that a lot of you are aware of, and the label is called pastor. And when I tell someone I'm a pastor, a reaction happens. Sometimes I say I'm a pastor, and they think I just said I'm an axe-murdering alien. Because they, they, there's a lot of shock and awe, and they don't know. But so a lot of times I just avoid the label. I don't tell people it's not because I'm ashamed of it, because I don't want the label to get in the way of the relationship. And so, so for me, like... These labels that are put on us, they have an impact. And there are other labels that you put on yourself, things like, <clears throat> I'm not enough. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for him, for her, for them, for God. Or perhaps, anybody wear this one? Busy. <laughs> I'm too busy. And this has become a label a lot of us wear proudly as if we're the only. Can I just let you know on a secret? There are other busy people in the world. You are not the busiest. I am. Here's the deal, though. All that busy does, all that busy does, all this label does is just say, this is my excuse for why I'm not who I'm supposed to be. Because I'm too busy doing these things that isn't, aren't the things that God's called me to do. This label has a, is a limiting factor. Don't put yourself under this label. Right? We put on the label of failure or fraud or I'm afraid or I'm damaged goods or, or whatever it may be. We put on the label of shame or overwhelmed <clears throat> or stressed. For a lot of us, we are stressed. 77% of Americans report that stress has affected their physical health. 73% say that it has affected their mental health. We're wearing this label, and it's affecting our health just because we say, yeah, I'm stressed. Some of us, we don't feel stress. We own stress. Like, that's what, like we wear it like it's, it comes with life, and it doesn't. And under all those labels, we are trying to make a sense of our identity. We ask the question, who am I really? And whether you've been a believer or you're not, like that question still reverberates because we have to ask ourselves over and over again, what does my future hold? And we can't see our future very well because the labels are piling up and clouding our vision. Because these labels weigh us down, right? So when we read the story of Jesus, 
and the crucifixion and the resurrection, which is a powerful story. When we read that story, what I'm always struck by is not just what Jesus did, but I'm struck by the, the details that we get of that story of the people around Jesus, the disciples around Jesus, and specifically kind of how they reacted, what was going on with them, how they were feeling. And I want to talk about one disciple in particular that we got some good insight to, and it's this disciple John. And John does something incredibly fascinating in his writing of the gospel. He writes very uniquely, very artistically. I wouldn't say that, uh, he is, that his gospel is the best, but it is the most unique. It's, it's, it stands out from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's just a little bit different. I feel like he's a little bit of an artist, so I, I relate with him and I like that about him. But, for example, in his writing, though, John gives himself a label. Now, we're going to start. We're going to read a few different instances. We'll start in John 13. Verse 21. Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified... Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So this is the moment right before Jesus is betrayed at the Last Supper. He's betrayed by Jesus. Would eventually, this would lead to his arrest and crucifixion. So he's telling them this. And it says, in this moment, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Everyone say, lean back. Lean back. Don't you love that picture? Like leaning back, like lean back in. Yeah, that part, right? He's leaning back. Now, perhaps if you're reading through this story, you wouldn't know who John is talking about. He's saying the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, you might think he was referring to one of the other disciples, but he's actually talking about himself. He's speaking in sort of a strange, like, third person. And we know this is him because he, 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 he kind of signifies in John 21 that whenever he mentions the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was talking about himself. So if you really want to weird out your family today or your friends this week, just start talking in third person, right? It's, it's, it's a very strange thing to talk in third person. But he's doing this nonetheless, and uh, it would be sort of like me preaching in third person, right? Can you imagine, like, man, I, I, feel lo- I, I felt loved by this church. But instead I'd say, I am the pastor who is loved by his church, right? Like, this, this would, it would just be a weird thing. You'd probably go to another church. It would be, it'd be a thing. <laughs> let this third person thing, though, let it slide because John is actually doing this because it's from a place of humility, humility and honor. But he does this again. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved several times. And I've always been struck by this. I, I love talking about it. John 19, it says this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. You guys get that? There's three Marys. Mary, Mary, Mary. Quite contrary. When Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom Jesus loved, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So this time, John is at the foot of the cross. How many know Anytime or that anyone who actually finds life will eventually find their life at the foot of the cross. John is standing at the foot of the cross. And honestly, this moment, when you think about it, is pretty striking. Just Jesus is hanging on the cross. And here he is. And he's taking care of his mother. He's taking care of the oldest son responsibilities and affairs hanging on the cross. I mean, Jesus is like literally displaying his humanity, his divinity, right in this moment. John is standing there as the disciple whom Jesus loves at the foot of the cross. Then again, John 20, John labels himself again. Verse 
Verse number one, John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Like, you know, he's like, you know, right? Like, yours truly, the third person, John, said this. And they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where he is and where they have put him. So John is at the empty tomb, and he labels himself again, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Then in John 21, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. So this is in resurrected form. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved got a clue and said to Peter, it's the Lord. So you might think, is John trying to be Jesus' favorite? Is John playing some sort of teacher's pet thing? Is John trying to say he's loved more than the other disciples? Is that what's going on here? And none of those things are true. John is writing in a form to say anyone who surrenders to the life of Jesus gets to call themselves the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he's saying that of himself, but he's saying that of everyone who would come to believe in Jesus. And we have four different moments that he gives himself this title, and I think it's really important. John knows exactly what he's doing because he chooses four moments that we need to to see and understand the significance of. He says it in John 13 when he was at the table with Jesus. He says it in John 19 when he was at the foot of the cross of Jesus. He says it at the empty tomb when he was at the empty tomb of Jesus. And then he says it in John 21 when he was in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. And all four of those moments, it is significant. It is an intimate moment where John wanted to say something very specific. But the temptation with this statement, we'll come back to those moments in a minute, but the temptation with this statement, you are loved, is to generalize it and to make it sort of a blanket statement. It's the, it's the feel good, like, God loves you, right? Is that what we're saying today? Like, God loves everyone, yay. Like, it's, like it's just sort of, sort of this blanket, generalized statement about God. The idea that God loves you is actually the most affirmed truth of the gospel. No one has a problem with it. Almost everyone is happy that God loves us. Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. Jews, Muslims, Christians, even people who aren't sure what they believe spiritually are thankful that God loves you. And scripturally, God's love is the tip of the spear, isn't it? God loves all people. John 3.16 says it this way. We know this verse. If you guys want to, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So yes, God loves the world. Yes, God loves you. But we can't just leave it in this sort of general, hey, God loves you. I hope that makes you feel better because that's not the whole gospel story. It's part one. It's part one of the gospel story. In John chapter 3, we just read John 3.16. John is... Jesus is actually having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, help me understand what you're doing, Jesus. Jesus says this sort of crazy thing. He says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again, which confused Nicodemus. Like, how can a man be born again? He says, listen, you have to die a spiritual death, and then you're going to have to be resurrected into a spiritual new life. Nicodemus was sort of pondering, like, what do you mean by this? And Jesus is like, listen, I didn't just come to tell everybody God loves you. I came to tell you God loves you, and I'm making a way for you to remain and to live in his love forever. I'm making a way, and I'm proclaiming a message to help you learn what it means to enter into the kingdom of heaven. See, this is Jesus' message. 
He says, there is a way, there is a truth, there is a life, and I am that way, I am that truth, I am that life. Jesus says this over in John 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Once again, everybody loves that message? Cool. God loves me. Sounds great. Everyone's happy. Then, though, he says this, now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. The truth is, and I hope you're following me. You guys with me? Yeah. If you're with me, we really need to pump the brakes on this one right quick. If we're, this is actually really significant. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. There is an if to his love. And it's not popular to talk about, honestly. Nobody wants to talk about it. They just want to say God loves you. They don't want to talk about what there is an if for those that would remain in his love. God actually puts a, a, like another image to what this means. And it's a difficult one. And he uses, he talks about that the Bible says that there will be a day when he judges and divides his people into two categories. The Bible language is there will be sheep and there will be goats. It says this in Matthew 25. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. This is when Jesus returns. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He would put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. If you kept reading, it would say the sheep would go enter into his pasture. They would be, this is AKA, also known as his children, entering into the kingdom of heaven. That's, those are sheep. And then he says the goats will be divided and they go to the left. And it says this in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Oh, nobody likes to talk about that. Talking about hell, right? For I was hungry and he gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and he gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and he did not invite me. And he's like, listen, I didn't even know you. I wanted to know you, but you never came near to me. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. It is hard to reconcile a God of love, yet one that will also one day divide his sheep from goats. It's hard to reconcile that. What does that mean? Because if we're honest, we want God's love to mean do whatever you want and God will love you anyway. But it's important that we don't make the scriptures say what we want them to say. We have to read the scriptures as they are and receive them as truth. That is good and beneficial for us. Love always requires justice and justice always requires judgment. But in God's love, he made a way for us before the judgment to be freed of his judgment. Listen. I remember a couple years ago when Christy, when she was diagnosed with cancer. Now, my love for Christy demanded and wanted a doctor to bring judgment upon what they saw in her body. Right? I didn't want them to look at the MRI and think, well, I don't want to rock the boat of your life. I, we can hope for the best. We can kind of see how things work out. My love demanded that the doctor would call judgment upon what he saw in the body, call out the cancer, and then in their reckless love, my reckless love, her, I mean, for her, I was like, then I want you to do whatever you can to get it out of her. Will you, I mean, will you, you can cut into her body to get it out. This is how sin works, my friends. God's word shows us and tells us what sin is, how to identify it. It says he will judge the sin and remove the sin. But God's love, catch this, came ahead of that judgment and said, you know what? I can remove the tumor before judgment day. 
I can remove the cancer before you die. Through my son Jesus, I can actually get you to be cancer-free, sin-free. So on judgment day, you will be seen as not a sinner, but you will, when the Father sees you, he will see Jesus in you. You will be set free of your sin. Therefore, on judgment day, you will be asked to enter into the right side as one of my sheep, as one of my children. In other words, judgment day can be tumor-free, cancer-free, sin-free. And you won't, because God won't see that sin anymore. This is what we, why we call it victory in Jesus. This is why we say, I was once dead, but now I'm alive in Christ Jesus. Some people think that Christian love is supposed to never rock the boat. Peace at all costs. Never bring any brutal truth. But in the case of my wife, if a doctor had taken that approach, I don't want to rock the boat, it would have cost her life. If they aren't willing to cut into her body to do whatever it takes to remove the cancer, then it would have cost her. And it would have cost me and our family. Listen, God's love for you is far more complex than a little Easter bunny with the sign that says God loves you. God's love went the full distance for you. Love requires justice. Justice requires judgment. God's love made a way through the judgment in the person of Jesus. We have to understand that. So this label that I am the disciple who Jesus loved, it's not just a better label than all these other labels. It's not just another label that we get to add to our collection. And one day we say, you know what, I'm feeling it today. I'm loved. Another day we say, you know what, I'm not feeling it today. I'm afraid. Like it doesn't get added to the collection. It becomes the label to shape all the other. There's actually a death to all the other labels. It's like I'm going to, I'm going to put these. There, oh, yeah, what did, what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? That you're going to have to be born again. That the things that identify you are going to have to die so that there's only one thing that identifies you is moving forward. So all these other labels they are put to death when only one label comes to life. And it's the label that I am loved. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. It is not a label. It is the label. Right? So all your other labels are defined by the label. Okay, I'm still a dad, but now it's defined by that I am loved. You're still a creative or you're still a Republican or a Democrat or whatever you are. You're still middle class, but it's shaped by that you are loved. Even the label I'm not enough or damaged or shame or busy or stressed, it's shaped by you are loved. I want to go back to these four moments when Jesus spoke about himself in third person. <laughs> the disciple whom Jesus loved. Four different moments. I'm going to walk through these on the screen, but the first in John 13. It says that he, he said this when he was at the table with Jesus. Jesus, when I think about a table, I don't know what you think of, but I think of hospitality. I think of family. I think of being welcomed to a table. Jesus welcomes you to his table. And so I, I, I feel like in this room, we come here, there's a lot of energy around Easter, but I, I'm hopeful that through the noise, like the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you today. Because some of you have felt forgotten, you felt lonely. Katie said, I felt all alone. And you have to like recognize like the disciple whom Jesus loved, he says it when he was at the table with Jesus. 
like you're welcome at the table with Christ. And remember that picture in the scripture, John leaned back into Jesus, so maybe we can say it this way, that question on the screen. Do you need to lean back into the loving arms of the Father? I mean, for you, has it been a long season? Has, have you forgotten your identity and just the fact that God loves you, but it's not just any label, it's the label? And so today, if it's like, you know, I've been leaning out and I need to lean back in. Easter seems to bring people back sometimes that have been leaning out. Do you need to lean back in? At the second moment, John labeled himself the disciple whom Jesus loves was at the cross with Jesus. And this is like the culmination of what I was just sharing about with that Jesus comes and through the cross is the removal of sin. So Jesus comes before the judgment and says, there's gonna be a way through me if you come through me. The disciple whom Jesus loves finds himself at the foot of the cross. And as I said, every person who wants to find life finds themselves eventually at the foot of the cross. And so for you, maybe it's just like, you know what? I, I actually just need to identify with what the cross is all about. And the cross is about the forgiveness of my sin. It's the removal of my sin. If that's where you're at today, do you need to ask to God for, to forgive you? If your label is shame or guilt or regret, it really is like, come to the, go to the cross. The third time John labeled himself the disciple whom Jesus loved was at the empty tomb of Jesus. It says in John 20, if you kept reading in that story, that, that Peter and John ran to the tomb. And when it got to the tomb, John entered the tomb and he saw no body in the tomb. And instead of him thinking immediately, like, who took the body of Jesus? It says that he saw and believed. Like immediately, my Savior, my Lord has risen. Jesus is alive. He believed immediately. And that's what the empty tomb is all about, is do you believe? Romans 10.9 says it this way. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Resurrection is about belief. And for a lot of you, you're like, I already believe that. Okay, then what else is it? For some of you, it's like, do you, have you ever put your belief in Jesus? Full belief. That's question one. The second question is, maybe you have, but are you struggling to, to believe again? Like, God's going to show up again. God's going to help again. God has you. He sees you. He's with you. Like, Today, do you need to like elevate your belief? The culture has been attacking this one, calling people to question what they believe. In fact, one of the biggest beliefs on the rise right now is to believe in nothing, to believe in the absence of beliefs. But maybe you need to ask yourself do you need a deeper belief? in something. What is it that today, do you need to believe God again? And the final time John labels himself is, of course, in John 21, the resurrected Jesus. He's standing on the shore. They're out on the boat fishing. He sees Jesus and he says, it is the Lord. And this passage goes on, if you keep reading, and they come to the shore and they meet with Jesus and it says they sit down and they have breakfast. Can you imagine? resurrected Jesus makes time for breakfast. I sometimes will text people or call people and I'll be like, hey, you want to get together sometime? Coffee, lunch, breakfast? And I'll get no reply for a while. You know how that goes. And then like 
two days later, oh man, I'm so busy right now. Maybe in a couple months. Now, none of you have done that to me, but to other people. They go to other churches. Still trying to get them all saved. No, I'm just kidding. I've done that to people. I've done that to people. I'm just too busy. And so if, you're, if, you're, if your label is, I'm too busy, I'm too rushed, I'm too, I never have time. Like, do you understand the resurrected Jesus made time for breakfast? Like, it sounds cheesy, but to be like, God always has time for you. Like, and we, so maybe for you, it's like, I need to get in the presence of the Lord. That's like the disciple who Jesus loved sat in his presence. He was welcome at his table. Like he was full of faith. He believed what he experienced at the cross, he, at, at the tomb. He was forgiven of his sin. Like there's, there's a reason John chose these moments. I love how John used these moments. And, I, and for you, I just, what one stands out for you today? Today, maybe you just need to respond by literally responding to one of those questions. And ultimately today is, we gave you these labels. You can get your label real quick. If you haven't already put it on, I know some of you already did, and that's awesome. You saw it, you said, that's me. You put it on, but this little label says, I am loved. You don't have to put it on yet. If you already put it on, awesome. But when we respond in a moment, if you're like, you know what? God, I, I want to wear that title. That I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I was just imagining when we leave in a little bit, like 500 of us walking out with this name badge that says, I'm loved. I know it's a little cheesy today, but man, sometimes, sometimes it's the simplest like little visual for us. It's intended to just help you open your heart to something. So when we respond here in a little bit, if you want to put your label on, we want to encourage you to do it. I've talked to a lot of people this week about you know, what they've been praying for and how God's been moving and, and what we continually are hearing time and time again is that God is moving in people's lives all the time. Like it's just, it's kind of overwhelming the stories that keep running in. There's, I heard about a woman in our church who just, man, just God just radically met her in an unexpected way. Or a guy that was like, I was lonely and now the Lord has met me with community and with family and the stories just keep rolling on. And we just want you to know that we believe God has something for you today. He has a story he wants to do in your life. He has a work that he wants to do in you. So we're gonna pray and we're just gonna invite the Holy Spirit to move in you right now. But before we pray, I just want you to say this. I want you to say it, this little label. If, you, if you're ready to say it, you're ready to, to mean it, just say, I am loved. Would you say, I am loved? Look at your neighbor and say, you are loved. Look at your other neighbor to be fair and say, you are loved. <laughs> it's a rowdy crowd today.
Would you pray with me? Father, we just ask your Holy Spirit to come right now. Would you come and move in this room? We pray against distraction. We pray against any form of apathy or any form of, of uh, really putting up a, yeah, a stiff arm to the work that you want to do today. I pray for those who just need to lean in today to lean back into you. But Father, they would, they would do that today. I pray for those that just need the forgiveness of their sin, Lord, to remove it so that they can, they can find freedom and find confidence and salvation. Would you do that today? I pray for anyone, Father, that's just, they're at a place where they just need a greater belief, a greater faith. Would you just put that in them today? Would, they, would today be the moment where they just move past confusion or doubt or in a way that just they find security in, in your word and in who you are. And of course, Father, we pray. We pray for just that time in your presence. You make time for us. May we make time for you in the name of Jesus. I want to pray this before we leave and before we sing and before we respond. We're going to respond. We're going to have some worship before we close today. But I want to pray for anybody that just needs to just take that step today of saying, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. You know, the whole message of the kingdom of God, the whole message of Jesus was an invitation to a way of life. And if you need to do that today, we want to invite you to do it. And it's just with a simple prayer. It's just, you know, there's a lot of ways to receive Christ. Praying in a church service like this is just one of them. But we want to make that opportunity available for anybody who wants it. If you're like, I, I need Jesus, and even today in the simple message of you are loved, I, I find myself needing that. When I was 15 years old, I prayed in a church service like this, and this is the way that I gave my life to Christ. Some people say, oh, this isn't the way to do it, but I know I did it this way. And if you want to do it this way, you can. There's a lot of opportunities to give your life to Jesus, but if today is the day for you. You can just pray this prayer. Just repeat what I say. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you want to give your life to Christ right now, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. And I'll say, I ask for forgiveness of my sin. Say, I believe God raised you from the dead. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for saving me. And thank you for loving me. Everybody's head's bowed. I just want to, I just want to pray for anybody who just prayed that prayer. If you prayed that today and you meant it, and and you just have a little bit of bravery in here right now, just lift your hand. At, even right now, just lift. Just say, "I prayed that prayer because I wanted to say a prayer over you." Just lift it up. Thank you. I see you. Awesome. I see you back there. It's good. Several hands. Lord, I just pray for those who've lifted their hands right now. Would you seal this moment in the name of Jesus? Would you plant them in good soil? Would this be a moment that they say yes to you for the rest of their life? God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? Stand with us as we sing for just a few minutes. This altar's open. Our prayer team is here. We have even prayer team people up in the balcony. If you just want to respond to the message of God loves you and that you're loved, please come. 
We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.